The interesting thing is that Jesus could have just instantly made there be enough for everyone. And maybe that would have even been more impressive. But he didn't. He said, bring me what you have and I will make it enough. And this is what we do every single day in our homeschool. We bring this little measly basket of bread and fish that is, we are 100% sure not enough for our children. And we are right because he didn't ask us to work the miracle. He just asked us to show up and he will make it enough. What should you do if you don't feel like you read aloud well? What's the point of poetry memorization? Have you ever really worried about one of your kids? What would you tell a mom who's confused about all the different homeschooling philosophies and methods? How do I know I'm doing enough? What about high school? These are questions you might have, and I've had them too. I'm Sarah McKenzie, and this is the Read Aloud Revival, the show that helps your kids fall in love with books and that helps you fall in love with homeschooling. This past year, I had the privilege of speaking alongside Andrew Pudua from the Institute for Excellence in Writing at all five great homeschool conventions throughout the U.S. We decided to pitch each other some of the best questions we've ever gotten about homeschooling, homeschooling high school, about books and reading aloud. It's all in here. Andrew is one of my favorite speakers, so getting to chat alongside him on stage for an hour was such a joy for me. Now, we know that many of you weren't able to make it to a great homeschool convention this year, so we thought we'd share our session here on the show so that you could hear it for yourself. And it seems like good timing right now. It's the start of a new school year for most of us, so a good time for a little boost of encouragement, right? You're not alone. There are a lot of us starting a new school year right alongside you. And here's a little secret in the homeschooling world. We're all pretty much jumping in scared, (laughs) jumping in maybe a little more unprepared than we wish we were, because that's how homeschooling usually works. Now, before I hit play on the recording for you, I want you to know today is the last day of our pre-order launch on Kickstarter for the first book we're releasing at Waxwing Books. It's a picture book I wrote illustrated by Breezy Brookshire, and you guarantee your copy in the first print run by pre-ordering on Kickstarter. So if you're listening to this after September 1st, 2022, yes, you did miss the Kickstarter, (laughs) but you can still order the book. If you're listening to it when it airs, head over right away to waxwingbooks.com because September 1st, 2022 is the last day of the Kickstarter. And we've got some exclusives you won't be able to get after that Kickstarter closes, including a really beautiful new book bag and some other goodies. So it's all very exciting. Head to waxwingbooks.com and don't delay. That Kickstarter ends September 1st. Okay, here we go. Here is my session with Andrew Pudua from the 2022 Great Homeschool Conventions called The 10 Best Questions We Ever Got. Welcome. We are so glad that you're here. I'm Sarah McKenzie, and I'm here with someone who needs no introduction, but I'll introduce him anyway. Uh, Andrew Pudua runs the Institute for Excellence in Writing. The first time I talked to Andrew wasn't the first time I got to know him because I listened to a recording of a talk he gave called Nurturing Competent Communicators, which I highly recommend. And in this talk, he, t- he discusses the importance of reading aloud and reciting poetry as two of the most important things you can do 
to help your kids become good communicators. So I take this advice and I'm reading a ton with my kids and I'm seeing all the things he promised would happen, like the great reading comprehension and the improved vocabulary and the better writing skills. But I'm also seeing this other thing happen, which is all of these connections and relationships really grow and nurture in our home. So I think, well, I'm going to record, I'm going to create a podcast and just create a couple of episodes about reading aloud. <laughs> and um, I tend to be like a ready fire aim kind of person, right? So I shoot an email over to IEW and say, would Andrew Putawa like to talk to me on my podcast? And they wrote back, yes, he would love to. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> because this is Andrew Putawa. And I don't have a podcast. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. <laughs> No, if they come, you got to build quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> and, uh, and ever since, we've developed a friendship, and you have seven children, and how many grandchildren? Fifteen. Fifteen. You're envious. <laughs> uh, my day is coming. <laughs> my oldest is um, 20. She's here, but she didn't want me to point her out, I know. Sorry, I said I wasn't going to, but she's the one who looks exactly like me, but like six inches taller. It's funny, you were sitting at dinner last night, yeah. and I was watching her talk. She's like a clone. She, her facial expressions, everything is yeah. so similar. And I thought, you guys probably get confused as being sisters most of the time. We do sometimes. You want to talk about it? <laughs> a good problem to have. Yes, it's a good, it's a fun problem to have. Uh, so I have six kids that are 20 down to eight-year-old twins. And um, we're just going to talk about questions. Some yeah, questions. so um, I, I didn't really know who she was because nobody did. Um, <laughs> but I'm one of those people who's like desperate for attention. So any random person could call me and say, would you like to be on our podcast? I'm thinking... Absolutely, that, you know, uh, I, I had no clue what would happen as a result of that, and I am particularly gratified because this message that I had about the importance of reading out loud, I, I felt like, how do I break into the outside, just the homeschool world? And, you know, I work a little bit with schools, some public, private, but how do you reach the general parent population? That's the question I had not solved, and I am particularly delighted, and I don't know if I can legitimately use the word proud of, but I will, uh, that Sarah has managed to do that, to, to extend goodness way beyond uh, the market that was started with. And, you know, I, I really believe if you wanted to do something to try and improve education in the United States, the first thing you would do is teach parents how to read with their kids every day, because that's at the core of everything else that'll happen. Anyway, I, I wanted to tell you something yeah. that someone told me yesterday. So there's a woman who's been working with us for I don't know, almost 20 years, and she met you at the rep retreat we did in Orlando. Oh, yeah. So when you're, we invited Sarah to be our guest speaker at our exhibitor's IEW staff retreat thing. Mm -hmm. And she told me yesterday that 
what you talked about teaching from rest mm -hmm. was the most important exact thing that she needed to hear at that time in her life because she was dealing with elderly parents and little kids and overwhelm and that you I think basically saved her life so she's here in case you want to say that. I want to hug her now her, her name is Danielle okay She's at her booth, or okay. she's in the room. I'm not. If sure. she's in the room, you better come hug me later on. So, but I, I think for every one story like that, there's probably thousands that go unheard. So, so you guys want to hear a funny story about that conference, actually, <laughs> that little rep retreat, because uh, Julie from IEW emails me and says, "Hey, Sarah, would you come speak at our rep ret retreat?" And I am. This is Andrew Poudoir, right? So I'm like, yes, I do. But I had just finished doing great homeschool conventions, and I have 5,000 children at home, and my husband will probably start an uprising if I say yes to something else. Um, I don't think I can leave my kids again. And so she said, well, how many do you want to bring with you? I'm like, huh, three. Because <laughs> the young three, are, they're not even invited to go to Target, right? So they're for sure not coming to a conference with me. So we come, it's in Orlando, Florida, so we're about ready to leave, and I lean over to my kids, and I'm like, make sure you say thank you to Mr. Pudua for bringing us to the conference. So Drew, who at the time was probably eight or something, ten, says, Mr. Pudua, thank you for paying for us to come to this conference. And Andrew goes, I paid for this? <laughs> I'm like, go, 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 back to the car. <laughs> All right, well, we need to get started with the actual content. <clears throat> We're going to ask each other questions and maybe comment, and we have to strictly limit ourselves to four minutes per question, Yes. and we will still run out of time. And then we have a lightning round at the end, and I have a surprise question she doesn't know that I'm going to ask her. I tried to get it out of him last night, but he was... No, nope. I wanted her to lose sleep, but she lost sleep anyway, talking to her daughter until two in the morning, I'm sure. All right. You ready? I'm ready. I'll go first. Okay. What would you tell a mom who is confused about all the different homeschooling philosophies and methods? How many of you have had confusion about homeschooling methods and philosophies? How many of you just didn't raise your hand, but you secretly have been confused? Yeah. <laughs> so that's like 98%. So, all right, what do you tell them? Well, okay, this is interesting because when I was brand new to homeschooling, I read all the books, right? Because I wanted, we want to do this just right. So we're reading all the things and trying to find examples and mentors. And that was good to a point. But what happened is I found myself number one, constantly thinking however I was doing it was wrong, right? Because if you read one book or one method, you find out this thing is right, and then you read from another book that that will never work, and you should do it this way, and you have to do the whole thing their way, or it won't work, or this way, right? This is how it works. And so um, what I failed to do then is I failed to just look at the children in front of me and respond to the children in front of me. And so what coming to a conference is really helpful, I think, for is first of all, like, if you look around you, like, this room is full of people who are doing the same thing you're doing alone in your house every day, right? But also, um, when we're using these excellent published resources, these, this curriculum or reading about methods, those people are able to speak to their experience, but they don't know your children because you are the expert on your own children. So I, I would say if you are lit up by reading about different philosophies and methods, 
that's great, but make sure you're keeping your eyes on the kids in front of you because those are the ones that we're teaching. We're not teaching books. We're teaching images of God, right? And so that ends up being a little more challenging than what we can find in a book. I, For some reason, I think I should say this. I don't know who needs to hear it, but one of the things people sometimes ask about when they first hear about homeschooling or they look at all the philosophies and methods is, well, what about unschooling? So I would like to define that word properly for you because I think there's people who define it wrongly by saying unschooling is where you basically just let your kids run around and do whatever they want. You don't worry about anything. So <laughs> I, I do think there's a place for unschooling, but what it is is to undo the schooling that you suffered. So if you're coming into homeschooling straight out of years in an institution, you actually may need to take some time to undo all that, which would be just relax for a while. This idea that somehow homeschooling is, you have to be busy doing school every minute, at least six hours a day for 12 years of your life, is really phenomenally disordered, but that's the one the institution puts on you. Yeah. It's like, oh no, we lost a week, we're behind. It's I think, and I think here in Ohio, you have like a 900 hour thing, right? So it's helpful to know that like, they all count, all the hours count. <laughs> so yeah, like uh, you got cooking, 900 hours. Cleaning, yeah. straightening your room, these are all valuable life skills that should go on a transcript. So I just think it's, it's good to say, hey, let's just take a, a few months maybe and not do academic and reorient, reorganize. And then that gives you the time and space to consider, okay, when we start up again, which kind of approach or philosophy do we most embrace? And which philosophy maybe you most, like is makes you excited about teaching? Because you're going to be in your homeschool longer than anybody else. So... Uh, this did not occur to me until my oldest went to college. And I was like, wait, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> so you are the one that has to sort of maintain the enthusiasm, which um, it can be kind of difficult to do. So trying to find something where that I think goes with your personality or makes you excited to get up and teach your kids, makes you feel like I am lucky to do this job, which is not how we feel a lot of mornings, right? Uh, that's useful as okay. well. Yeah. Okay, I have a question Good for that. you. Perfect timing. What do you do if you don't feel like you read aloud well? Yeah, I think a lot of people have that fear, like I'm not going to do justice to this book. I can't read or more likely I get tired or I get sleepy. Uh, how many of you have gotten sleepy while reading to your children? <laughs> and then you feel guilty, like I should take better care of myself so I don't get sleepy, so I can read an extra three hours a day to my children. Um, and then I know, you know, I've, I've tried to inspire dads to get involved, because this is one thing dads can do with virtually no preparation, no lesson planning, no figuring out what to do. You just pick up the book and start reading. But, you know, not all men feel all that comfortable about doing it. So, you know, one thing is to just not worry about that because you're talking to your kids all the time anyway, and you may not do it that well, but they don't know. <laughs> uh, so they don't actually know that you're not reading so good. And the more you do it, the better you will get. So like any skill, it's practicable, it's learnable, and you can get better. So the first thing would be, I'd say, 
don't worry. And, and the second thing is, if you're reading a book, and I know you, you preach this one, if you're reading a book you want to read, then you're just going to have that extra erg of enthusiasm that can, through grace, kind of multiply into a, a better quality of experience for everyone. Because if you're reading a book that you don't want to read, everyone will be pretty aware of that like by the end of the second page. So uh, that would be the one thing. And then as your kids get old enough, you can start allocating to them the job of reading part of it. So, you know, pass the book around. And then my strategy when I get um, sleepy is just stand up and walk around the room and then I don't get sleepy. How about you? What do you, what do, you do? What do you tell people if... If they say, I don't do this well. Well, I think a couple of things. One is that sometimes we feel like we have to do all the voices and things, right? Um, it's kind of funny, though. My husband was reading The Enormous Egg. Are any of you familiar with that? Um, this is just a few weeks ago. And so I was, we were doing great homeschool conventions in St. Charles, Missouri. And he texted me and said, well, I started reading The Enormous Egg. But it, I knew it was on a farm, so I thought I'd give him a southern accent. Then I realized it was in New Hampshire. <laughs> but I was in. so. And he's like, in his southern accent. So he gets to the end, he's just like, well, <laughs> one more chapter till your mom, my bride, comes home. <laughs> and the twins say, your bride, our mother. And the other one goes, unless things go bad and we get a stepmother. And the other one says, or even worse, and we get a stepfather. <laughs> and that's where he cut them off, right? Oh, if you had recorded that, it would be priceless. <laughs> All right. Time's up on that one. Okay. All right. Wait, wait. I want to know what the best book recommendation you've gotten from me is. I'm always texting him book recommendations. Well, I, I would say... I don't know, there's just so many, but um, I did read The Wednesday Wars oh. to a grandson who was unfortunately in the hospital for a couple weeks, and it was such a phenomenally great bonding experience. Um, and the book was particularly interesting to me because it's set in the late 60s in a middle school. Yeah. So just about my time period, a little bit before... Um, so it was a way to like share things I could really relate to with my grandson who could not even imagine anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about it quite a bit. And I think it was just, he was just old enough. Yeah. It, Usually I recommend that one for like 10 or 11 and yeah, up or something. He's, yeah. He's yeah. precocious. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That would be the one. But I, I think someone else recommended it to me. Actually, what happened is someone recommended me. I started reading it. I texted her. I go, you've got to know this book. She texts back, yeah, I interviewed him on my podcast. <laughs> okay. All right. It's my turn now. Okay. Okay. This is a softball question. Okay. What are the best read aloud experiences you have had with your kids? Oh, I just asked my older kids this um, to find out what they said. My 16-year-old son instantly said The Green Ember by S.D. Smith. Uh, yes, we have some green for fans here, I can tell. We recently read The Hobbit, and I usually don't like to admit this in polite homeschooling society, but I was not a Tolkien fan until like a month ago. 
I just couldn't. I mean, I'd try, and I felt like it was always like fight, 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 journey, 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 fight, 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 journey, journey, journey. <laughs> really? And then um, I, we read The Hobbit. Actually, we listened to the audiobook narrated by Andy Serkis, and that's S-E-R-K-I-S. He's the guy who plays Gollum in the movie. Phenomenal. So good. And we loved it so much. We re- listened to the whole thing and then we started it over and we're listening to it again. And my kids have multiple, you know, the poems and songs like chip the glasses and blunt, crack the plates, blunt the knives and bend the forks. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. <laughs> yeah, that one, a couple of them, like the Addercops uh, spider poem and down, down to Goblin Town we go, my lad. That one. Anyway, we've got them all memorized now. We're kind of becoming like super fans. Didn't they like sing the Break the Dishes song while they were doing the dishes? Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are the two that come to mind for okay. me. What about you? Do you have a favorite read aloud experience? Well, I would relate just one story. So um, I, have, um, I have seven children, and a f- there's kind of a spread between the oldest two and the rest. And the oldest two, well, the, the second one, who's actually here, this is so fun. We both have I know. a daughter here. I know. And they fun. got to talk last night. Um, but anyway, I had been reading, and then she went off to college for a couple of years or something. I don't know. And then she moved back home for a while. And so she joined back in kind of the reading culture. And then one day, she said the sweetest thing to me. She said, Daddy, it's so interesting. When I read, it's kind of like black and white. But when you read to us, it's like color. And, you know, I didn't take a huge amount of personal pride in that, (laughs) aside from the fact that my reading skills are stellar. Um, (laughs) But what, what it made me realize is that there's something really particular that happens that brings literature to life when you, when you hear it, when you read it, when, when the language lives in your ear. And this particular daughter was an early reader. In fact, I think she spent the entire year of being six years old just going through Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe books again and again and again and again. And I remember my I wife didn't have saying, any of those, so if your kids are not early readers, My, my wife said, do you think we should make her read something else? And I said, ah, I don't know. She's only like seven, eight years old, so why bother? She's obviously happy. And has good taste. She just doesn't right want to bat. leave Narnia. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think you will find that, you know, the more you get into the hearing of the beauty of the good and great literature, the better it penetrates into your soul. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Your turn. Okay, let's talk about, I wanted to ask you this one. Why poetry memorization? So that was one of the things you talk about in Nurturing Competent Communicators is the two best things to do to help your kids become good writers and speakers is to read aloud a lot, memorize poetry. Tell me about that. Yeah, so those are really the two things that were at the core of primary education for almost all of recorded history until maybe 100 years ago. So if you look back, I'm sure most of you have read books like Little House on the Prairie, Laddie, Anne of Green Gables, Little Britches. And in most of those books written about the life of children in the mid-1800s, they will, they will mention the fact, almost in passing, that children were responsible in schools 
to memorize huge chunks of poetry, scripture, as they got older, famous speech. It was universal. Like in the mid to late 1800s, every single school kid would know the Gettysburg Address, the preamble to the Constitution, you know, the 23rd Psalm. This was just like normal. And uh, this was, and so I started to realize how incredibly powerful that is for expanding the vocabulary, uh, for creating a familiarity, even a love for language itself and poetry. And one of the thoughts I've had more recently is we kind of have two areas of vocabulary in our mind, in our brain, right? Our passive vocabulary, i.e., we hear that word or we read it, and we kind of know what it means. And that's good enough to just keep going. But then there's active vocabulary, which is I can easily pull that word, use it correctly in context uh, without struggling to think of it or find it or anything. It's just part of the natural way. Well, how do we move words from passive vocabulary into active vocabulary by using them? But there are a lot of words you just don't have opportunity to use on a daily basis, right? Because they just don't come up, especially in our modern culture. So memorizing poetry or prose that includes a broader range of vocabulary moves that word from, yeah, I kind of know what it means if I see it, to I can say this word uh, because I've been reciting poems that include that. And so I, I just encourage everyone very, very strongly to do memorization because of all of the great things it does for the brain, all of the marvelous expansion of vocabulary and syntax and fluency, um, and yet even more so because memorizing something, you know, we use the expression, learn it by heart, Yeah. right? My mother was a music teacher and she never ever said, you have to memorize your piece. She always said, you have to learn it by heart. But there's a difference there, isn't it? Memorization is kind of like mechanical. Learning by heart, you take it into your soul. Yeah. So that which you memorize will actually come into and maybe even affect, maybe even create hopefully positive changes in your soul. And uh, the whole modern world discounts the value of memory uh, and it's ironic because it's advertisers who use repetition to drive really stupid stuff into your brain, right? But if you don't give children good and beautiful things to memorize, they will memorize whatever garbage is in their environment. I can still say, "Till beef patty, sausage, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun." <laughs> How did I learn that? Television commercials when I was nine, ten years old. Did they say it that fast? Faster. Oh. I used to be able to say it faster. <laughs> um, I, don't you love it when your kids say, like, a, use a word that's just... Um, I was just telling Audrey that her twin brothers the other day, one of them was, had grabbed the other one's book and run out of the room, and so they're fighting, so they're about to get in trouble, except that the twin runs down and goes, you thieving magpie! And I was like, well done! Right? <laughs> And that's one of those cases where you know thieving and you know magpie, but putting them together has yeah. like a super special effect. So, Well, my older daughter was listening to Emma on audio while she was drawing, and the little kids were like around, but she didn't think they were paying attention until she turns it off, 
and they're sitting there drawing with her, and all of a sudden, Beckett looks up at his sister and says, Clara, you are ill-bred. <laughs> My husband's like, are we sure they should be listening to Jane Austen? <laughs> yeah, you have to be a little careful, because, um, what is it, uh, Wednesday Wars, they have this whole Shakespeare thing going? Yes. And it's the curses, yes. the Shakespearean curses from The Tempest that really captures this kid's imagination, yeah. and then he goes out and tries them on all these clueless people. It's hilarious. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I, I don't really object to Shakespearean curses. I mean, if you're going to curse, you might If you as do well it in a British accent, it in sounds perfectly like yeah. polite. All right. What's next? Oh. I think it's your turn. Is it my turn? Mm-hmm. Okay. Libraries don't seem to be safe places anymore. How do we best use libraries? I've been thinking about this one a lot lately um, because that's true. A lot of the books that are coming out of publishing right now, we get a lot of those at Read Aloud Revival. Publishers will send us their whole list of everything that's coming out. And it's pretty remarkable how that has changed in the last four years or so, five years. Um, and I think, though, I, I feel very strongly that the libraries belong to us. They are public libraries, so they belong to us. Um, and so you can use them. There's a few different ways you can use them well. One is just to use the hold system. So you can put things on hold and go pick them up. I hear some places have drive-through libraries. Yeah, here in Ohio? Oh, we don't have drive-through libraries. But oh yeah, use an app. Yes. Um, and oh, the other thing is, is that my library has something called Libby, and hopefully yours does, or something like it, Overdrive or something. And that's an audio, it'll have audiobooks and and digital materials that you can put on hold. And the great thing about that is that you don't have late fees. Because if you're like me, and last week we got a thing in the mail that said I had $82 in late fees. I know, and my husband opened it, not me. And he was an accountant. Was, I know. I told him it was a business expense. <laughs> you probably could do anything and call it a business expense. <laughs> But if you put things on hold at the library, you can avoid having your kids, you know, just like free reign. I will say, I take my kids to the library, and I let them just roam, and they bring things to me, and I will check them all out. And then the rule is that for my older kids, it's less strict. For my younger kids, um, if I'm not familiar with the author or the book, then I will just pile them up on my desk at home, and I will look them up really quick. And you could, there's a couple of resources that are helpful here. One is... Um, commonsensemedia.org, which is probably where you might go to see what's in a movie that you are about to let your kids watch. Uh, it's helpful because it will just point out the kinds of things. It will say like violence on a one to five scale, and then it will name the kinds of violence or whatever it is that's in the book, language or whatever. And then redeemedreader.com is one of my favorite places to look. That's a group of about five or six Christian women who are writing reviews on book on books that are coming out now. So um, with their emphasis being like, we're reading ahead for you, the stuff that's coming out now so that you, and again, they're not going to tell you, yes, have your kids read this or no, don't. Um, but they'll say, these are some things that show up in this book that you might want to be aware of. We'll get right back to that conversation between Andrew and me in just a moment. I want to take a second to let you know about Waxwing Books, which is the brand new boutique children's book publishing house we've started at Read Aloud Revival. We've actually got four picture books under contract with illustrators and Omalayans. You're going to love them. They are coming along beautifully. 
Our first book is a picture book called A Little More Beautiful, The Story of a Garden, and it's about an old lady named Lou Alice who leaves each day more beautiful than she found it. Nobody notices the little things she does each day, except for a little girl. And when the old lady, when Lou Alice is moved from her home in town, everything she planted starts to die and be neglected. So the little girl takes up the work of Lou Alice, and she does make the world a little more beautiful. But she also knows it's not enough. She's got to do something of her own to make the world as beautiful as it should be. You can pre-order the book by September 1st on Kickstarter to guarantee your copy of A Little More Beautiful, The Story of a Garden in the first print run. Just go to waxwingbooks.com to see for yourself. And even if you're listening to this after September 1st, same place, go to waxwingbooks.com and you can find out how to get a copy. Okay, back to my session with Andrew. Have you ever been really worried about one of your kids? Well, I've had a lot of kids. Actually, I've been really worried about every one of them. Um, but I, I guess really worried is when you just think, this is going to crack my wife's sanity. Um, <laughs> Which is very is, insightful. This kid is poison <laughs> in, the, in the family right now. You know, what do we do short of sending them off to a different city to live in a different family and go to school forever, which is tempting. <laughs> but I talked about this yesterday a little bit in the things I did as a dad talk. And you know, I had one child who at 12 years old had reached the absolute peak of obnoxiousness. Uh, this child was so incredibly obnoxious that we were having the evil conversations in bed at night. What do we do? And so the thing that I did was I, I kind of just took her off her mom's plate and said, I will be in charge of this kid for a while. And so I think that's something that can happen. It can help. And I think that was kind of the most worried I, I was. And the great thing is they grow up. Right? They're not 12 forever. Thank the Lord. <laughs> and then they kind of get that sensibility. Have you ever been really yeah, worried, like well, capital R? Two things come to mind. Um, one is that, especially with my kids, we're all late readers. And that is very anxiety producing, right? When you have a late reader. And you're, especially if your mom and sister happen to be reading specialists and are pretty sure you're doing something wrong, right? And so I would listen to you and be like, you better know what you're talking about. <laughs> and you did. It worked out. Um, but that, so one thing is worrying, especially with your oldest couple, uh, those poor firstborns, right? But the, the oldest few worrying that they're not going to have what they need. And I mean, I think we did this all the way up through like, my husband was just saying about our 16-year-old the other day, like, I don't think he's going to survive when we send him out into the wild. And I was like, I think we always think this, though. You know, like there's a lot of maturation that happens between 16 and 18, we, we hope, with the grace of Jesus. But the other thing is that um, I really feel like a lot of this comes back to us holding our value as homeschooling parents on whether how our children are doing. 
So we're measuring our worth and our success depending on how our kids turn out, which is not fair to them. And it's not even fair to us because that's not the job we've been called to do. So at one point or another, we have to realize that homeschooling doesn't mean that you get to walk the path for your child. It just means you get to walk next to them for longer of it. And once we realize that, then we can realize we show up and we do our work faithfully every day. And they have to walk their own path to heaven. They have to walk their own relationship with God. And they have to make mistakes that we wish they wouldn't make because we can see them from our perspective. But that's just how, that's how it works. Yeah, and I think that the scripture says, teach your children, you know, as you walk and live together. Yeah. It doesn't say have anxiety and worry about them 24 hours a day. Yeah. So, you know. all right. Uh, my turn? Yeah. I have a child who loves audiobooks, but doesn't want to read books himself. Will too many audiobooks make him lazy and he'll never want to read? Nope. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll say a little more. <laughs> yeah, I think you can unpack it a little bit, but yeah. that is the answer. Yeah. Is, no, don't worry. It never happens. Talk a little bit about audiobooks versus reading aloud and what are some benefits of or problems with either. Yeah. So one thing to remember is that if what we're trying to do is get good language and good stories into our kids, then whether they get it through the sensory experience of their eyes or the sensory experience of their ears, it all ends up in the same place, right? It's a different modality. We call it a different reading modality. There is a significant um, benefit to having it come through the ear, like Andrew talks about, because I think one of the things that you pointed out to me early on was that when we read with our eyes, we skip stuff. We like skip the little connector words and things. That's why you can read with your eyes faster than if I was to hand you a page of something to read, you could read it to yourself silently quicker than I could read it out loud to you. But when we're reading out loud, we get those whole complete patterns of grammatically correct, sophisticated language intact into their ear, which has a benefit. The other thing is I feel like we're, especially with kids who are just, maybe they were late readers or they struggled to read, we don't really like doing stuff until we're good at it, right? And there's this whole section of time between when we finally figured out how to decode words and when we're really good at it, there's like this stretch of time where we really just need to read a bunch of words to get better at it so that it's easy, so that we'll enjoy reading. And during that time especially, uh, listening to audiobooks is really helpful because their stories are better than the ones they can read with their eyes. So it kind of gives you something to aspire to. Because if they're just reading what they can read on their own and they're easy readers, that's just not very motivating. Like, yay, I can't wait to read more so I can read The Cat Sat on a Mat again, yeah. right? But our listening comprehension is always better than our reading comprehension. Well, up until I think about 10th grade, it's better. And so, you know, this is why you're five-year-old can listen to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, even if they can't read it yet and they understand it. So sort of giving them these audio stories and having them have lots of audio stories, whether it's you reading aloud or an audiobook, we're doing the reading. Um, and if you have, if you're tired, if you have health issues, if you've got babies and toddlers and you didn't get much sleep last night, just use audiobooks for a little while. Um, it really, it, it will take a, a big load off of your shoulders. And you can always say later, tell me what you heard. Tell me what you read. And now you're asking your child to narrate, right? And so this is all like a really beautiful way of getting a lot of good language into your kids. Yeah, I'm going to ask you this one. Okay. Because this, this, is, this is one everybody has. Okay. 
How do I know if I'm doing enough? How many people have that thought on a regular basis? Yeah. Okay, so fix all the problems. <laughs> Solve their psychological <laughs> angst. Oh, you're probably not. <laughs> Good old Sarah. <laughs> Insofar as, well, let's finish that sentence, right? Like if we finished it, sometimes when we keep things vague, it's very, everything feels really impossible, right? How do I know that I'm doing enough? Well, like, I don't even, I don't even know where to start with that. How do I know if I'm, that I'm doing enough so that my kids get into college? Is that a concern? Or is it so that my kids have everything they need when they leave my home so that they hold on to their faith after they leave home? When we can get a little more specific, we can also kind of see the absurdity of the question itself, although we all ask it, and I ask it too, because we've never been called to do enough, right? So if we go back, let's just think of um, Jesus feeding the 5,000, and we've got like this throng of people on the hillside, right? And the disciples are like, send them away. They're hungry, which is how I feel every Tuesday morning, right? <laughs> send them all away. I don't have enough. But the interesting thing is that Jesus could have just instantly made there be enough for everyone. And maybe that would have even been more impressive. But he didn't. He said, bring me what you have, and I will make it enough. And this is what we do every single day in our homeschool. We bring this little measly basket of bread and fish that is, we are 100% sure, not enough for our children. And we are right because he didn't ask us to work the miracle. He just asked us to show up, and he will make it enough. So when you're wondering, am I enough? Am I doing enough? Remember that we're probably taking on a yoke that doesn't belong to us, right? That's the most beautiful answer you've given. <laughs> I'm not going to comment. That was too good. Knowing what you know now, what things would you have done differently? Homeschooling. Yeah, that's great because having adult children gives you so much valuable perspective. And I know you can't, I mean, if you're sitting out there with a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old, and one on the way, you, you can't conceive of the end. But... If you could, you will know that they will have someday all grown up. That's future perfect tense, by the way. Um, <laughs> and you will look back, right? And, and one thing that helps is if you kind of look back on your own childhood and you say, what are the most formative things that I experienced as a child as a, as in the whole process of growing up? And say, if those were the most significant formative experiences for me, how can I create similar things for my children? The, the things you worry about, like, are we going to finish the math book by the end of May with the right number on the cover so we can start the next math book with the next number? That is the most irrelevant thing you could ever worry about. But at the time, that's what you worry about. So I think the thing I would say is probably the things you're most worried about are the least important. And the things you're not thinking about might be the most important. So if I look back, I would say, well, there's this, 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 and this that I still remember to this day, 50 years later, 
and it affected me my whole life, and I'm blessed because of it, or cursed, depending. Uh, what are those things? And then how do you create those experiences for your children and your family? And none of those things in my life had anything to do with school or academics. All of them were like meaningful life experiences. So I think as homeschoolers, we have to be careful that we don't confuse the idea of academics being the most important thing about growing up. Because in, and I bet almost everyone would agree, if you look at your own childhood until you left home, what were the most important things? Very few of you would connect that with, you know, a grade in school or a course you took. There might be a particular inspiring teacher, but it was the soul of the teacher, not the content of the study. So, uh, you know, what's that book title, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff? Mm -hmm. um, it's a good title, but y your problem is you don't know what's the small stuff. So that's the contemplation. So don't let homeschooling and the responsibilities for academics eclipse the things that are going to ultimately be the most impactful, the most formative on who the kid becomes. Um, can I ask a follow-up? Because we, I want to make sure we get to this one before we're out okay. of time. Yeah, we're almost. Um, how many out of, of you time. have high schoolers? Okay. Uh, yeah. So high school is very easy. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't think about it. Don't try to do what schools do and call it high school. Instead, do something much smarter, which is start doing college-level work when you're about the age of starting high school, right? So if you could completely free yourself up from the idea of grade levels, you would be happier and you would be free, but you probably can't. But you know, you can think, okay, if this kid can read decently well, write decently well, and even has multiplication tables memorized, they are head and shoulders above the average 19-year-old at 14. And so looking at dual enrollment options, right, through online class or community class or local Christian college, th this is a very, very good idea because uh, you can save a whole lot of money in the long run. There's external accountability, and you get to help the teenager fight the evil demon of math or, you know, English composition or whatever class they take, accounting. You get to be on their team rather than the one force, trying to force them to do stuff. So looking for that type of opportunity. And I mean, anyone in this room, unless you've got a child with real challenges, you know, neurological issues, could probably start at 14 or 15 and take one or two classes every semester and bank up at least a year, if not a couple years, of college credits before. And, and even if they're not transferable, you don't use them, it's still, it's just as good, you know, this dual enrollment. And the honest truth is this, under, you know, what do you call it? The first couple of years of college, underclass, right? So you're under, well, the first couple of years. Yeah, freshman and sophomore, which is aptly named. Um, these, the rigor of almost all universities right now is lower than the rigor of a typical high school class of the same sort 50 to 70 years ago. So the only difference, really, 
is that they have shortened, dumbed down, abbreviated, redefined, so that they can get people through college and keep getting their money. Um, so Wait, that would be I've my first say advice. too, this uh, idea of like, do what you want. And call it what you need. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking so, about that. Yeah, transcripts, don't worry about it. Just do whatever you want to do, and then write down whatever you need to write down. But if you, but it, I told you you, you wanted to be here. If you enrollment thing, you don't even need a transcript anymore, right? You got two years of, of college credits. Nobody's going to ask you for a, a transcript from high school. It, transcripts also, I mean, I think a lot of us are like, oh, should I put my kids in an accredited homeschool high school program so they do the transcripts? But the transcript is very easy. They all look pretty much the same. It's like English one, two, three, four, world history, American history. I mean, you can Google this stuff, right? Like it's, and they don't want it to be some fancy name. And they also don't, I wrote course descriptions for my oldest. And then I heard that the colleges don't really need or want that. They're not even looking at that. So for the second daughter, I didn't even do that. So you just make up a transcript and Andrew yeah, told me to give them all A's so, so I did yeah. an occasional A minus yeah. to make it look okay <laughs> all right we're we're out of time so it's the lightning round okay you know we should do a, like a whole session on just high school yeah all right okay lightning round what's one non-academic skill you'd like all your kids to acquire before they leave home Oh, my couple oldest did a finance class, like the Dave Ramsey finance class thing at our co-op. That was smart. I and that. accountant husband. Yeah. Um, what about you? Cooking. Because when you go to visit your children and visit your grandchildren, you, you want to eat well. So you have to plan ahead. All right. What is your favorite tea? Coffee. <laughs> what about you? Chai, unsweet, oh. bitter as possible. Why? Because it's more like coffee. All right. Uh, if you could have a picnic anywhere in the world, where would you do it? Easy, Prince Edward Island. <laughs> what about you? Um, my backyard. <laughs> then if I run out of something, I just go get it. <laughs> <laughs> The grandchildren are just as happy in the backyard as they would be on Prince Edward Island. They don't know the difference. Yeah. So. Uh, what book are you reading right now? I Must Betray You by Ruta Sepetis. I don't know if any of you are familiar. If you're a historical fiction, if you like historical fiction, it's Ruta Sepetis is R-U-T-A-S-E-P-E-T-Y-S. She, uh, I know, right? You wouldn't be able to look that up, really. Um, if you look up Ruta, R-U-T-A, you'll find her. But anyway, she has done lots of historical fiction. This isn't lightning, sorry. That's okay. Uh, you asked me about a book. <laughs> we, we have a few minutes to flex okay. here. Um, she has written, like, Fountains of Silence is another one that's really good. That was about the revolution in, in Spain. And her books are very heavily research-based, but you'd never know it. They're page attorney. If you like Susan Meisner... Rudis the Petties is another good one. Anyway, this new one I'm about halfway in is called I Must Betray You, and it is about Romania in 1989. So as the rest of the Soviet Union is crumbling, it's, it's amazing. It's would you still, text that to me? Yeah, I will. I'm listening uh, to it on audio. I, I would like you to just comment, if, if you were to ask any of my adult children, um, where did you learn history most? I think almost all of them would say historical fiction. And you would read, you'd learn a whole lot more about the Revolutionary War period and some of the main players um, by reading Johnny Tremaine 
than you would by reading three chapters out of an American US history textbook. The textbook information doesn't often have a good narrative line that locks it into the memory and imagination. So even though historical fiction is fictional characters, it has a better ability to lock the facts into your memory. So you should do, well, you probably have, a whole podcast just on historical fiction. I finally had an idea she didn't already do. <laughs> All right. Um, what is the best family vacation that you ever took? Um, I like theme parks more than my family does, so I'm going to say Yellowstone. I know. I tried to get him to come to a theme park with me one time. You gave me that same look. It was like a scowl. Yeah, my opinion about theme parks is it's kind of like the gateway to hell. <laughs> So, but Yellowstone. I am fun at theme parks. You're fun even not at theme parks. <laughs> um, Yellowstone National Park. We did that last summer and Jackson, Wyoming, and we it was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I, I, Yellow, if you've never been to Yellowstone, it, it is good. All right. Um, Wait, you didn't answer that one. Uh, my best vacation would be like to stay at home <laughs> <laughs> and not have to drive anywhere or ride on an airplane, but um, I think the best one was uh, we spent Christmas in the snow at a cabin one year, and so we didn't have the whole awfulness of gazillion presents and too much cooking. It was, it was just very calm and peaceful Christmas, so. All right, um, what is the number one reason to attend a homeschool convention? Number oh. one. Um, look around you. I think it's seeing all these people who are doing the same thing you're doing every day alone in your house. They're having the same struggles. They have the same doubts. And just knowing we're, we're not alone. What's your answer to that? Uh, just standing right next to Sarah McKinley. <laughs> She's one of those people whose aura is so, you know, you just feel like you're a better person for having been near her. <laughs> all right. Now I have the secret question. Um, what is, up. is, what is your worst but perfectly moral guilty extravagance? <laughs> Cotter. Um... I mean, like, does chocolate count? It, it's your opinion, whatever. I mean, your your worst guilt. I'll tell you mine, but I just, yeah, tell you me know, yours. No, I'll tell you mine after you oh. answer the question. True confession. Okay, but it's not immoral. Okay. Um, bleh, my husband would be like, "I let me start. Let me just get started over here." Um, I, I would say, like, yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I was just telling people that I, when we, I have a lot of theme park stories because uh -huh. I really like going to theme parks, but I do tend to do that thing where everybody else is ready to go. And I'm like five more rides. And so like, I have that little selfish tendency. That's like, you know, I'm having a good time. Wow. Don't stop my good time. That doesn't even cost you anything. Except the love and admiration oh. of my family. What about yours? Um, so I really like asparagus. What? And no. That, oh, uh, my gosh. I'm just going to explain this. <laughs> I, 
I really like Nobody asparagus. Nobody likes asparagus. I eat asparagus. <laughs> I eat asparagus three, four days a week. Um, really? Costco. They have organic asparagus in these big bags. No, my that... husband buys it, and then we have to eat it. Okay, but now I'm going to tell you the trick. I really intensely dislike chewy ends of asparagus. So I am very liberal in breaking off my asparagus where I have no danger of putting a chewy, fibrous asparagus end in my mouth. You mean the bottom part? Yeah. Yeah. And so I break it off like halfway through and I just throw them away, knowing that I probably could have had another inch and saved myself a few money or gained a few calories, I don't know. Um, and then I just, you know, I think I just has calories. load <laughs> them up with butter, which is the trick. Oh, yeah. So if you get just the good part and you smother it with butter, asparagus is like the best vegetable there is. But I always feel, I always feel a little guilty about breaking the asparagus so high. Do you like Brussels sprouts? <laughs> um, Brussels sprouts only if they're roasted. Okay. You got to cut them in half, salt them heavily, put them in the oven, roast them until they're a little crispy. But if you steam them or mix them in a stir fry, it's disaster. Well, that is the end of our hour together. I hope it's been enjoyable for you. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. It's possible Andrew and I will do another session together next year at the great homeschool convention. So keep your eye on your inbox. Make sure you're on my email list, actually, if you'd like to know more about that. I will keep you posted on where I'm going to be and when in the coming year. So that's at readaloudrevival.com slash subscribe. That's how you make sure to stay up to date. I hope we do another session together. I really enjoy his company and I am always reassured by his perspective. You can learn more about Andrew's work at the Institute for Excellence in Writing by going to IEW.com. His is actually my preferred program for teaching my kids to write. I really like their new structure and style for students courses because those are pretty independent courses where Andrew is teaching your kids directly on video. So you as the parent teacher, you offer feedback and some coaching or editing ideas based on the teacher materials, but you're not having to direct teach every lesson, which is really doable for busy homeschooling parents, uh, moms who have their hands full with younger siblings and babies, which was me for many, many years in our early homeschool. Um, anyway, check it out. We still really like IEW for writing, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can check out their programs. They have several different options there. Okay, for now, let's go hear from the kids. I'm Cole, and I live in Atlanta, and my favorite book is Bear Stays Up by Karma Wilson. I'm Ella Blue, and uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and my favorite book is Adventures with Waffles by Maria Parr, um, and I'm 11. Hi, my name is Riley. I live in Frankfort, Kentucky, and I'm four years old, and I like the book Heidi, and what I like about Heidi is when she ends up with her grandpa. Hi, my name is Esther, and I'm four and a, I'm almost five. And my favorite book series is Molly, and I like that she chose to go underwater when she didn't like it, and she was super brave. 
My name is Karis, and at Missouri. What book do you want to talk about? Adventures with Otto. Why do you like that book? Because my favorite character is Otto, and he's really funny. Hi, my name is Eliana, and I live in Jefferson City, Missouri. And my favorite book is Stuffy Mouse because I can read it by myself. <laughs> Thank you, kids. Always love hearing your messages. Hey, don't forget to head to waxwingbooks.com to pre-order your copy of A Little More Beautiful, The Story of a Garden. The clock is ticking on that Kickstarter campaign. As always, thank you for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at readaloudrevival.com slash 212. The episode was produced by the team at Yellow House Media. I'll be back in two weeks with a new one. But in the meantime, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books.